Seinfeld, the limo is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys, the Murphy and O'Brien of podcasting. I'm Rob Sestrini. Here's Akiva Whitaker. All right, so I'm O'Brien, and you're Murphy? <laughs> no, I'm with O'Brien. And I, I don't look like a Murphy. Yeah, well, you're Murphy. I always liked, I always liked uh, Dylan, at least. Okay. All right, fine. You're, you're Dylan Winokur, and I'll be uh, O'Brien Sesternino. All right, sold. Fine, great. All right, so we are going to be talking about the limo. Of course, uh, this is the episode where Jerry and George pick up a limo at the airport and get in it, thinking it's uh, just they're going to get a free ride back to the uh, Manhattan. And it turns out to be the limo that is waiting for a guy who is like the second coming of the Aryan race. Uh, is that do I have that right? Uh, yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, he's like, um, yeah, he's like, it, you know, a KKK I don't adjacent O'Brien. <laughs> no, I know. You know, his lawyers will be honest, but uh, <laughs> he's like he's like KKK adjacent. Yes, KKK adjacent. Yes, he runs the Midwest part of the Aryan nation. And so we are going to be uh, talking about uh, that. It's sort of I feel like it's while there's a lot of fun stuff. I feel like this is a bit of a departure this episode from what we've seen of Seinfeld to this point. Uh, yeah, it's one of the most different episodes so far. Um, it's usually lumped together with the subway, the parking garage, and the Chinese restaurant as, uh, you know, it takes place in basically one, uh, you know, one area the entire time. Yes. But it's much different than those three episodes. Yes, it's very different. And uh, we're going to talk all the way through it here in this episode. Plus, we're going to take your feedback that you guys send in after each show at Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Akiva, any Seinfeld news to attend to this week? Um, I don't have any news, but, it, you know, one thing I've been thinking about, Rob. Fun fact? I, I, don't, I have. Well, listen, uh, first of all, one thing we learned this week from some of the feedback was uh, do not mess with Montreal Expos fans. Okay. I will not mess with the Montreal Expos fans. You know, they have better fans than the Florida Marlins, and they haven't existed in 15 years. Yeah, that's <laughs> How dare you? We're going to get some uh, negative press from David Sampson soon. So uh, that being said, uh, you want to jump into this? Yeah, let's jump right in. All right, let's jump right in like it's a limo with an O'Brien person holding, what do you call those things, a placard? Yeah, I think a placard is fair. Okay, so we start off with Jerry talking about the stand-up, talking about how the whole airport industry is just a front for $9 tuna sandwiches. Um, are $9 tuna sandwiches at the airport, would that be reasonable in 2015? Yeah, that was the first thing I was thinking. Like, I, I look, walk around the airport looking for tuna sandwiches that are only $9. Yeah, let me give you a pro tip also about the airport. I'm not having the tuna sandwich at the airport. I'm avoiding any mayonnaise-related products at the airport. I don't know how long that tuna sandwich has been out. Yeah, I would guess that they're not throwing out all the tuna sandwiches that night. Yeah. What about you? That, uh, now, is, am I just totally barking up the wrong tree with this? No, I mean, I think the key is bring your own food to the airport. Everyone's always jealous of the guy who brings his own food. Really? I feel like if, if there's a guy who has like, uh, you know, even like a sandwich, like something not so exciting, even if you have like two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you know, that you brought from home, you're living better than anybody else at the airport and you're saving a lot of money. See, I feel like that they don't let you through security when you bring food. 
No, you can bring food. You just can't bring drinks. You can't bring a drink through. So you make a sandwich and then you bring it on the airplane with you. Yeah, if you bring like a bagel, yeah. I mean, you don't want to bring something with like egg salad on it or, you right. know, so, something really smelly. But like, if you bring like butter on a bagel or cream cheese on a bagel, like you're, you know, you're in the top five. You may as well be in first class. Wow. I didn't even think of this. I mean, I sort of like the whole flying process is so unpalatable to me that I feel like the only thing that sort of gets me through it is like, okay, well, what am I going to eat at the airport? Right. But there's nothing, even if the, the prices are outrageous, but also the That's selection true. is terrible. What about JetBlue Terminal? Yeah. All right. So JetBlue, you're a little bit, it's a little bit of a different scenario. Like just the whole atmosphere is, is different and you know, everything, first of all, they're giving you free snacks. This is at JFK. We're talking. Yeah. JFK. They're giving you free snacks. Um, everything seems a little brighter and cleaner. Yeah, like that JetBlue terminal. That's the way to go. But anyway, all right, let's get to this airport. What, do we know which if they're at JFK or LaGuardia here? Um, well, he said he took the Belt Parkway. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, I have a very poor sense of direction. I think that's LaGuardia. Um, I was going to say, I think that's uh, JFK. Oh, yeah, I, I really have a horrendous sense of direction. Okay, well, I'm sure we will get some emails about that. And so George's car broke down. Tell me if you could figure this out. So George says his car broke down a mile away from the airport. So he abandoned his car at the side of the road and came to pick up Jerry on foot? Yeah, it's very unclear. I'm guessing he called, you know, something like AAA and they took the car and maybe they just gave him a ride to the airport. I mean, we know George didn't take a cab because, you know, he's too cheap for that. Um, maybe he like hitched the ride. It's not clear. He hitched to the airport? I mean, maybe he walked. If it's only a mile, you know, you could walk it in pretty, you know, pretty quickly. He walked down uh, the Belt Parkway? Well, I think it started acting up on the Belt Parkway. Yeah, he, it was like a weird line. I wrote a question mark next to that. Like, there should have been like a tiny bit more exposition. Okay. Anyway, so there's a lot about George wants to know what time it is. And he's asking the guy to tell him what time it is. And the guy has a watch on, but he won't tell him. He just keeps telling him where the clock is. And George finally uh, explodes at the guy and says, uh, you know, we're living in a society here. Yeah, that's a great George line. Um, that guy with the watch is a uh, Norman Brenner, who, uh, much like the waitress that's always in the coffee shop, you know, he shows up many, you know, dozens of times, but he rarely speaks. Classic eyebrows, that guy. Yes, is one of the few times you, you actually hear Norman Brenner speak. Okay, so Jerry gets off the plane. George says, "All right, I'm here." He tells him the whole story, and Jerry asks him, "So you don't have a car? What good are you?" Right. I mean, now they're just trapped together at the airport. Yeah. And so now what was George's plan? Like, he seems like he didn't even think of anything. The guy who's like a brilliant liar seems like he really was not thinking ahead here for what he was going to do once Jerry got off the plane. I think his plan was George is a liar, but above, above all else, he's just really frugal. I think his plan was get in a cab with Jerry, have Jerry drop him off at home and have Jerry pay for the cab. Yeah. You know, it's funny after last week's episode on The Boyfriend, there was so much talking about what is he ne going to do next? Pick you up from the airport? Uh, and it's funny that the very next episode we get here is about George picking up Jerry from the airport. I mean, I guess George has nothing to do, but why a wealthy guy like Jerry needs an airport pickup so badly? Yeah, it's too bad that things didn't work out with Keith Hernandez. He could have called in that pick me up from the airport. I have a feeling Keith Hernandez would have been busy. Yeah. All right. So we are going to try to figure out what to do. And Jerry and George see those guys holding up the signs. And Jerry says, well, O'Brien's not getting on the plane. The flight was full and O'Brien couldn't get on the flight. Now, 
Don't you think for O'Brien, who is, you know, the Midwest regional leader of the Aryan nation, uh, and he had a big speech that he was coming in to give at Madison Square Garden, shouldn't he have not been flying standby for this? Uh, Yeah, even if he was bumped or there was an issue, like, why are you flying in, you know, that night? Yeah. Why are you flying in? I mean, maybe for security reasons, but it doesn't seem like it was a great plan. Was it a spur of the moment decision by O'Brien? Like, uh, no, because they rented out, uh, (laughs) they rented out the, the speech is supposed to be uh, at the Paramount, which is now called, um, I think there's a corporate sponsor, but it's the smaller arena within Madison Square Garden. That's what the Paramount was. They used to have the NFL draft there, right? Yeah. My college graduation was there. Wow. So it's in MSG for people who aren't familiar with Madison Square Garden, but it's, you can have a Knicks game going on the same time as, as this speech. Yeah. So this does seem like f- for the fate of the world, depending on the outcome of the big game, O'Brien, uh, really, this was equivalent to, uh, you know, Pete Carroll throwing the ball here on uh, second and goal with uh, 22 seconds left to fly standby into the big rally, right? I th- this would have been punting almost. <laughs> So questionable decision by O'Brien. So they're going to get in the car and they're like, oh, what if we get caught? So they're going to tell these guys that they're O'Brien. Do you like this scam? Yeah, I think, you know, you don't know that O'Brien is a crazy person. So there's very little downside because you could say like, oh, we're, you know, we hit a different cab coming for us. And there's no real way for anyone to prove that you're lying. Yeah, I think that what they never think of, which I feel like I would have said here is that, oh, I'm I'm O'Brien also like uh, I'm the wrong O'Brien. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm Chief O'Brien. Uh, so sorry that I uh, got confused. At what point at what point are they supposed to say that? I think that if I were them, I think I would have said that at the point where Peter Krause and the woman get in the car. Right. And right. Because they also don't realize, like, if these people, even if they were just going to a Nick game, like those, they're taking Kramer and Elaine seats, those two people. <laughs> yeah. I think at that point, I think I say like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed that uh, we got in this car that my name is O'Brien and I accidentally got in this car. Can you just drop us off? And I think, see what, see what happens. Right. Even if, even if you offer to like pay, you still were paying for the cab. Yes. Like, cause you would pay to get out of this situation now. Oh, no question. Yeah. All right. So we'll get to that at that point. So we are going to get in the car uh, with O'Brien. But first, we have to decide who's going to be O'Brien. George wants to be O'Brien. Was that the right call for George to be O'Brien? I think Jerry probably would have done a better job as O'Brien, because even though George is a liar, he also panics under pressure. Yeah. (laughs) So Jerry is a little disappointed that because George is going to be O'Brien. He wanted to be somebody, too. He doesn't want to be Murphy. (laughs) Yeah, He's Murphy. Um, did they just get locked into Irish names because of O'Brien? Yeah, I guess he figured O'Brien would be with a Murphy, but Jerry should have gone with something more generic. Jerry could have been himself for all he cared. Well, he didn't want to be himself. If George was going to be O'Brien, he wanted to be somebody. Yeah, but let's say the guy asked for ID. Well, I guess then that would have been tricky. Um, he could have been like, you know, Terry Seinfeld. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. What would be your fake name? If you got in the car with O'Brien, who would you be? I think I'd be Art Vandelay. Art Vandelay? Well, no, that would, he would know what if he was a Seinfeld fan. Oh, that's true. Yes. So what would be, like, if I was, like, too famous for a hotel and I had to register under a fake name? Yes. Um, 
Ray Ordonez. Ray Ordonez. Yeah. And now if Dylan Murphy uh, doesn't look like Jerry Seinfeld, you don't look like a Ray Ordonez. I could be Ray Ordonez, Rob. You could not be Ray Ordonez. Well, I mean, my I mean, like my batting average could be Ray Ordonez. <laughs> yes. Batting. You hit like Ray Ordonez. That's right. Yeah. Um, I had to have a fake name one time. Um, I was, I believe Ray Carr was uh, my alias. Wait, can you say why you had to have a fake name or, or no? Yeah, when I went on Survivor, like they had to like, um, they, I guess they didn't want to have like the people's names. I think this was more like when we were traveling, like I think to go to Survivor. Uh, and it might also have been the same at the hotel, like when they did the finale that they gave us like an alias, but all of our aliases were the same initials as our real name. And so I was uh, Ray Carr. Did you get to choose your alias or no, they chose it for no, you? No, they chose it for me. Oh, because you could have been like Ray Charles. No, I was Ray Carr with two R's. That's C-A-R-R, like David Carr. Oh, so, all right. That, that would have been fun to make your own name, though. It would have been fun, but that wasn't the, the choice I was given. All right. So we uh, see Jerry and George in the back seat of the limo, and they're trying to see if the driver can hear them. Uh, what do you think of the line that George says to the driver to test to see if he can hear him? I mean, it's a terrible idea. Like, you have to start with something light because if he hears you, like, what's the upside of saying this? Yeah, because do you remember what the line was? Uh, yeah, it was something about let's stop off at your uh, and pick up your sister and have a little fun back here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why not? Like, uh, hey, driver, could we stop at McDonald's real quick? Uh, he says, why don't we pick up your sister and have a little fun back here? Yeah. I mean, this is like, if, if it didn't work, this is the kind of thing that's going to get him uh, beat up. And George, right. we saw last week got beat up in the backseat of a car, so maybe he's not afraid anymore. Uh, that's right. He's been beat up in the backseat of a car. You know, he, uh, he, he's been robbed just in the last few weeks. He's been robbed, uh, you know, and, and tied up in a hotel room. Yeah. And now, but I, I will say this is the most professional driver in the history of New York City. Uh, yeah. Why do you say that? Because if you said this to your driver for real, like he would come and fight you. <laughs> so you're saying that the guy could hear them and then he was just playing possum? Yeah, because he says a few minutes later, like, oh, I heard you. Hmm. I thought that that was um, because of the, then they had said that they were something else. So you think he heard them the whole time? Yeah, I think he had heard them the whole time. Wow. Well, I guess he feels like uh, this is O'Brien. This guy's a loose cannon. I better not be messing with him. All right. He was warned, like, don't, you know, don't just listen to whatever the guy said. Like, Mr. O'Brien, he, he may say some things that, like, you know, I want to get your sister back here and have a little fun with her is the least controversial thing O'Brien is saying. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we also uh, have George called up his mom on the car phone. Uh, what do you think of George's phone call to his mom? It's funny because, like, it starts off so innocently. Like, he wants to call his mom. He wants his mom to be proud of him. And within 30 seconds, like, they're not speaking for the next month. Yeah, he's, like, screaming at her. No, I said I'm not telling you. Fine, I'm never telling you. Never. And he hangs up the phone. Um, so we're getting a lot of action on the car phone. Uh, Jerry is going to uh, call Lane. They find out that they're going to Madison Square Garden, and they conclude that they're going to the Knicks game. So Jerry calls up Elaine and tells her and Kramer to get ready. They're going to the Knicks game. They're all going to the Knicks game. Meet them by the car. Yeah, I mean, having the Bulls come to Madison Square Garden in the early 90s was basically the biggest thing you could have in New York City. Yeah. Um, so here's the part where they say to him, uh, driver, we have to make a stop first. And the driver says to them, I know. I thought that he says, I know, because the driver already knew they had to go pick up uh, Peter Krause and Ava. 
Oh, that's a good point. So it's a little bit questionable, but maybe maybe he could hear them. I think you could interpret that either way. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. It's a good question. So they're getting off at the exit because they're going to pick up the other members of the party. And there was one point where Jerry and George were like, look at me. I see things as they are and you see things as they're not. And George is like really smug about everything. And then at the point where they're going to pick up the other two people from the party, we get into what an idiot George is. The jig is up. Uh, yeah, the jig is up. I mean, they should realize right here, you know, that uh, something something has gone awry. And at the very least, they should cancel with Elaine and Kramer right now. Yeah. Was it a good jig? What are the odds that, you, that you're going to take the car of a white supremacist and not some banker? So you think it was a good jig? Yeah, I'd say 99 times out of 100, it's fine. I mean, what do they do about this now? I mean, I have to think that this isn't the first time that this happened. Do they make you show ID when you get picked up now? Maybe after this episode they did. I mean, you definitely still see these guys in the airport. Yeah. Which I guess is a little surprising because you'd think, you know, I, 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 the couple times I've gotten like an airport cab arranged, I think you just get their number. But you do see these guys roaming around the airport still. Yeah. So I don't know how exactly they do it. Maybe somebody could tell us in the comments. Uh, I have not recently been picked up by anybody with a uh, name tag. No, my name barely fits on it. <laughs> so they're trying to figure out what to do. and. They say, let's jump out of the car. Uh, <laughs> Jerry says, oh, we're doing 60 on the parkway. <laughs> and George says, no, we just roll. Uh, it's just him, uh, what are you, Mannix? Right. Have you ever seen Mannix? No. What is that, like a TV show? It was like a detective or a cop show <laughs> um, in like the 60s and 70s. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah. I will say the, the, um, the old dramatic shows hold up very poorly. Yes. Yes, they, you'll never hear somebody say like I'm binging Hill Street Blues this week. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, not a great example because I feel like people might say that one. But I feel like there's I definitely get the point. Right. Or like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pounding St. Elsewhere this weekend. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> What's <that>? Gunsmoke. <laughs> I got 20 episodes of Gunsmoke. Binging but. it. That's right. So you can't stop once you start Gunsmoke. I think there was 20 seasons. So good luck binging Gunsmoke. <laughs> All right. So uh, here come the two people. And so the plan is the bright idea is that George is going to be sleeping and covering his face. And so here comes Peter Krause. Are you a Peter Krause fan? I mean, he's he's like a that guy. I wouldn't say I'm a fan of his. Are you a fan of his? Well, I was a fan of Six Feet Under uh, when it was on. He was one of the leads on that. I think he's done a couple other uh, shows. Uh, since I think he was on uh, Dirty Sexy Money, which was a show that he was on for a, a year or two. Uh, and then he just wrapped uh, Parenthood and he was one of the principals on that. So he's had a pretty good run here. But this is pre Six Feet Under Peter Krause. I think he's uh, dating or married to uh, Lorelai Gilmore. Wow. From Parenthood. Okay. How about that? Uh, who, who herself is going to appear very soon on Seinfeld. Okay. Uh, now, the woman, uh, her name is, is, is it Eva or Ava? Um, okay. So when she's on top of George, he calls her Emma, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay. Well, but has... her name is definitely uh, pronounced Ava the rest of the time. Yes. Okay. And um, I don't know if this is the reason why, but this, it's very likely because it's an unusual name. Uh, who is Ava? It was uh, it was Hitler's uh, wife or girlfriend. I don't remember if they were. <laughs> yeah, married. I think that that is intentionally uh, what they. I wonder if it was a nickname for her because uh, she was sort of like the groupie wanted to get with uh, with uh, O'Brien. Oh, you think her mo her parents named her like Brittany, and she just yeah, changed her name. She to took Ava? on that nickname. That's sort of like what they call her because uh, they just know that's like the the like uh, head uh, dictator's girlfriend. 
Um, yeah, and a fun fact about her. Oh, no. Um, she uh, is in another episode as a completely different character. Oh, good for her. <laughs> she is. I, I know you got nervous for a second. Um, she plays Audrey in The Pie, who won't eat, uh, you know, Poppy's daughter. Oh. And she won't eat the pie. And, you know, we think it's because she, because uh, Poppy doesn't wash his hands after he goes to the bathroom. Yeah, I thought she looked familiar. Uh, but it's weird because, like, it's not unusual, as we've already seen, for an actor to play two different roles. But these are like two, you know, here she has a speaking role and there she's like a major point in the episode. Hmm. So it's strange that they would bring her back. Okay. Well, maybe she had a uh, turnabout in her attitude on a lot of things. I mean, maybe it's the same person. Like, I guess when we get to that episode, we'll try and piece together that Well, this makes sense puzzle. though that uh, her nickname is, is Eva because Poppy names her Brittany. Oh, that's true. And maybe they had, you know, after this, she realized that like, maybe there is no O'Brien. Or maybe, you know, O'Brien is a fraud. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she goes along with her normal life with a father who doesn't wash his hands. And, uh, <laughs> That's you know, right. we'll see that again in the pie. Because if Poppy was your Poppy, things could, things could get sloppy. <laughs> That's right. Poppy has been very sloppy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we get to, I'm very excited to talk about Poppy uh, eventually. Uh, so uh, George is sleeping and they act uh, like uh, don't wake him up. And then they Jerry finds out that they've never met O'Brien face to face. And so they wake up O'Brien and he talks to them. And, and of course, we find out that O'Brien is the author of the big game. Yeah, this is a tremendous stroke of luck for Jerry and George. Yes, very lucky. Because if they've met him, it's over. And they might not even know, you know, Ava and um, and her buddy can can uh, you know just trick him and basically they could have killed them you know they would have never known they were being played. Yeah, Tim is uh, Peter Krause's name. Right, Tim, so- I, I don't know if his name is is said too often. In the, in yeah, the I'm reading on Wikipedia. His name is Tim. And so we get to now see Kramer and Elaine. And there's a couple things in this episode that I don't like. And uh, the Kramer and Elaine stuff I don't think is very strong at all. Yeah, I think it, they, first of all, they could have cut it to, I think they show them like five times, you know, they cut back and forth. They could have cut it to about two times. I think it would have been fine. Yeah. Here we have Kramer and Elaine talking about what's going on and how Elaine tells Kramer that they want to be called O'Brien and Murphy and that they're going to Madison Square Garden and Kramer demonstrates what a 360 dunk looks like. Did Michael Jordan do a 360 dunk in a game ever? Um, I think just in dunk contests, maybe once in his career, <laughs> but it's very, it's very rare for a player to do a 360 mid game. Yeah, you would think so. So we see Jerry doing his stand up, and he's talking about uh, people in limos. Uh, it's either a rich guy or 50 prom kids with a buck 75 each, uh, which I thought was funny. And he says that the inside the limo is like a depressing single guy's apartment. Akiva. Inside a limo. Give us your Forrest McNeil review of riding in limousines. You know, I've only rode in a limo once. um, And that was uh, when I got engaged with my wife. We took a limo back. We had an impromptu engagement party. Yeah. Wow. um, On Long Island. Look at you. Well, it was once. You really gave her a false expectation of what was to come. Well, not only that. Well, it was a little awkward because we got engaged. My plan was if I could surprise her, we could have all our friends together at an engagement party at my parents' house, which was a very good idea, and she wasn't expecting it. But I needed to propose. Her college was on 34th Street in Manhattan. Okay. So I need, you know, and we were going to take the train home, so I needed to propose uh, somewhere along the way. So I knew she liked Krispy Kreme, so I, I, I had uh, them at Krispy Kreme right by uh, the Long Island Railroad and Penn Station, like hide the, the ring in the box. Yes. 
and we got Krispy Kreme. I mean, it was probably like, oh, we've got to, like, we're late for the tram. Like, no, we got to get donuts first. But we got uh, Krispy Kreme, and then we got engaged, and then uh, we had to drop her dad off on the airport on the way. Okay. So it was like, uh, it was like a little awkward. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, and, and then like, and then I didn't realize, like, if you're taking a woman somewhere, and they, and it's like a more formal occasion because it's their engagement party. Yeah. And they're walking right into like 200 people. Uh, you should make sure they have something to wear and they're not wearing like the clothes they wore to college on like a Thursday. Okay. Good to know. Good to so know. So I, my overall review of a limo, two stars. Two stars. There you go. For <laughs> Do you have any, do you have any limo stories? I'm trying to think if I have any uh, good limo stories. I, not really that I can uh, remember to think of anything that's good. You know, they do always have like that sort of like uh, scotch or whatever in the limo. And, uh, you know, nobody ever drinks it. You guys just got to wonder like how long that's been sitting there, uh, you know, in, in the limo, if they ever like refill that or that's just the same stuff they've been driving around with forever. <laughs> yeah. I get like car sick. So I feel like I really want to be in like facing forward in the limo. I'm really like limited by like where I want to sit in the limo. Yeah, I agree. I, the, the back seat is, you know, you don't realize you're getting sick and then you get sick. Yeah. So it's fun. I've never really had the experience of like being like the only person in a limo. Like I typically it's like uh, like woo, it's like, uh, you know, you're with like 15 people or something or it's like a wedding or something like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's too much excitement for me, Akiva. Right. I think the, the closest I had to that is when I worked on the Olympics because they were the time difference. They would give um, you like a car service from your house to uh, Rockefeller Center every morning. Yeah. So they don't want you taking like the train or, you know, paying for your own cab at, you know, at, at 1 a.m. Yeah. Okay. So um, they, it wasn't a limo, but it was one of those like kind of like massive, you know, like $100,000 like fancy SUVs. Yeah. Um, and it had like a lot of food and drinks and stuff in the back. And, but you're by yourself. It's awkward. All right. So we go back to after Jerry's stand up. We're talking about in the car about, you know, they're wondering if they're going to make the tip off. Uh, and Peter Krause is like, we think somebody's been tipped off. Uh, so everybody's very paranoid uh, in the car. And the woman, Eva, is asking about uh, the big game. And uh, she's memorized the whole book. Uh, yeah, that should be a tip off right there. Like how many books have people memorized? Yeah. And it's such a, you know, brilliant, he's a brilliant guy, O'Brien, and he's like, oh, guys, hey, kids, just remember, uh, it's just a game. Now, I do love sort of arrogant George when he's like talking about, uh, in any episode, but specifically here as O'Brien talking about like trying to downplay how great he is. Right. George thinks he has hand here. Yeah. He's just like, ah, oh, you guys, uh, look, it's just, uh, look, I, I don't mean it literally. And they're like, no, no, the fate of the world uh, relies on the outcome of the big game. And they're really looking forward to hearing O'Brien's speech tonight. Yeah. So who are these people? Are they just his biggest fans? No, because I, I think they're sort of probably, I would imagine they're from like the New York division of the Aryan race and they're there to sort of like be his like escort to get him into the thing without a problem. Right. I mean, they're getting sent his speech. So clearly they're like higher up. Yeah. So it's interesting, though, is O'Brien just like the mouthpiece of somebody else? Like, is there like some like higher up that's like written this speech for O'Brien to say? You would think O'Brien would have written his own speech. Well, I think he did. I think maybe they're just, you know, sending him a copy. They punched it up. 
they punched it up. You know, it's like the president. You know, he, you know, they write the speech, but, you know, there's somebody doing like a 12th draft somewhere. Okay. And so we uh, go back to Kramer and Elaine and Kramer's got a lot of questions about why they take a limo and blah, blah, blah. Um, why do they want to be called O'Brien and Murphy? So we then cut back to in the limo. We see George uh, getting the, the speech for the first time. I believe he reads uh, a line that says, uh, what does he say about the uh, the Jews and the, and the black man are uh, oppressing the white minority? Yeah, um, and I'll read. This is not my opinion. This is yes. just this is just the direct quote nobody here. make a sound clip of this and put it on their soundboard. No, and don't don't send it to my work. Um, and the Jews steal our money through their Zionist occupied government, right? And use the black man to bring drugs into our oppressed white minority communities. Yeah, uh, and Jerry, that sounds very much like a KKK guy. Yeah, and Jerry says, "Well, you're not going to open with that, are you?" It's <laughs> <laughs> a great like comedian line. <laughs> um, and so uh, then they get to the point where. They're saying, uh, so what, what was it that you said about the, the myth of the Holocaust? And then they have like sort of like a blowout on the tire uh, and they're like, get down. They think somebody's shooting at them. And so ultimately we end up with uh, that. We see that they have a bunch of guns here. Uh, they're prepared to handle anything that comes up. And for me, Akiva, I feel like once we start getting the gunplay involved in the episode, I feel like they lose me here a little bit. Um, I, I agree, but can you elaborate why? Yeah, because to me, Seinfeld is a show about nothing. It's about talking about sort of like the little minutia of like everyday annoyances. And, you know, I'm I'm on board with this episode up until, oh, okay, well, what if you ever got in a car and then you had to, you know, took somebody's limo from the airport, something that probably a lot of people have thought about doing. And now you go ahead and you do it. But now we're at a point where for me, you know, Jerry and George's lives are in danger in the show. It's not just like they're going to get in trouble. We're now getting into the point where Jerry and George could be killed in this episode. And for me, um, that's not as fun as, you know, where we were just talking about that, like, oh, they're going to get busted. They're going to get caught. Like for me, this is uh, not Seinfeld to me. Uh, you know, I agree. I mean, first of all, the fact that there's no way they're going to get killed lowers the stakes a little bit. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, you could say that about Jack Bauer, I guess, in any episode also. But and then later in the episode, like when we have our four principal characters like held at gunpoint um, by these characters, I just feel like this episode, in my opinion, I think is is too dark and too much uh, different than what I expect from Seinfeld. Like it's one thing where, you know, Jerry is like hooking up with the girlfriend of the guy that's in the coma who's next door. I know oh, he's going to, he's going to wake up, you know, I feel like that's sort of like, Oh, there's a, th a perceived threat. But like, I feel like at the point where the guy wakes up from the coma and, you know, wraps his hands around Jerry's neck, I feel like now this has gone from being sort of like funny sort of consequences to now, uh, now we're getting into like real like threats and violence. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, I think the stakes get too high. It, it would be interesting that we can continue tracking this. I guess what would we say our darkest episode to this point would be maybe The Stranded? I think what we've said that the darkest episode to this point was the one where we got to uh, the guy in the the guy that had the stroke. 
Okay, fine. Uh, the alternate so, side, I believe. Right, the alternate side. Right, yeah. that was dark. I mean, The Stranger was pretty dark. The Revenge was, well, I guess it wasn't that dark. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but I, I, this, this certainly tops it to this point. Yeah, because I think it's fine to get into that the, you know, four principals are horrible people and they should have, you know, bad things happen to them. But the bad things that should happen to them should be like, you know, they have to, you know, stuck sitting on a plane next to a baby or something like that. Like, I don't want to see these four characters, you know, held at gunpoint during the episodes. I feel like that's not a Seinfeld thing to happen. It's a show about nothing, not a show about, you know, being held at gunpoint by racists. Right. And this is the second time we've seen like, you know, guns and 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 stuff like that in, in just a few episodes span because the subway you know, had the chase and plus had, you know, George getting robbed. So yeah, we also had the episode. Was it the shower where uh, Jerry was going to hook up a legal cable in his apartment, had the dream sequence where he gets shot <laughs> by the FBI. Right. So that that was dark, but at least that was a dream. Yeah. So I really love the premise for this episode, but I do feel like it takes a dark turn, which sort of takes me out of it. Uh, I hear you. I agree. OK, so when we find out that um O'Brien is the head of the Midwest regional arm of the Aryan race. We start to see like a news report. Yeah, it's Jody Baskerville playing herself. Wow. And an emotional fuse has been maybe lit here tonight. Yeah, the police do not seem especially competent in this uh, in this episode. Yeah, I don't know exactly uh, what's going to unfold. But we meet Elaine's friend, Dan. And Dan is going to go protest the head of the Aryan Union uh, coming up. So... Really, uh, Dan has nothing else to do on like a weeknight. Listen, people like to. Have you ever protested anything, Rob? Um, I have protested many things, like in my house. Oh, like I'm not doing the laundry. Like I am of- not going. Like you, this person is barely your friend. I am not going <laughs> to somebody's birthday party that you've only known for two years. I'm not going there. Like ten years, <laughs> that's a different story. But I don't care if you work with this person. But I'm not going. If you want to go, you go. I am not going. So I've protested many things, but never like with a sign. Never with a. You never. I. I feel like I, most people have either been to zero protests. We're a hundred. Yeah, that's really two options with that. Nobody's sort of like, uh, like I've been to a couple protests. My in my in my high school, they used to take us to protests. It was a anytime they found a a Nazi who was living in the United States on the East Coast, like we would take the whole school there in a bunch of buses and we'd like protest outside their house. Wow! So you could have theoretically been at the O'Brien rally. Yeah, we could have been at the O'Brien residence. I mean, they. <laughs> You know, you have to tell the police, so they get tipped off. So they they like leave usually. Yeah. Um. You know, then they call the news, and then I, I think the idea was they wanted to get them uh, deported. Yes. Uh, this is a Nazi, like somebody that was actually like in the German army, like uh, who has taken residence in the U.S. Like those kind Correct. of Nazis. Yeah. These are mo- it was mostly people. Not like a um, new it, Nazi. No, 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 no. It was people who were actually like participants. In the Holocaust. Got it. Got it. Um, And most of them at this point are dead. Yes. Yes. So we then uh, see George sort of like talking about Eva and is like, boy, did you see how she looked at me? And, you know, he's really getting into this idea that she is uh, worships O'Brien. He has hand and he's loving it. Yeah, I mean, listen, if Jerry's not there, George is making a date with Eva. Yeah, I just really love, you know, George is talking about like, oh, you see how she's looking at me? And Jerry's like, George, she's a Nazi. 
a Nazi. I know, but I'm just saying she's, uh, you know, she's uh, looking at me and they talk about that maybe they should run for it. But we find out George has a bad hamstring. Yeah, he says from a hotel, although, I mean, the only time we've seen him in a hotel is uh, in the subway episode. And, you know, I don't think he spent the night there, like he was saying, and he pulled the cover over himself. Have you pulled a hamstring ever trying to get out of a bed where the sheets are tucked in too tight? Um, probably not, but, uh, you know, it's possible. I don't know. Have you? (laughs) I have not. (laughs) Um, so then, uh, we get the people coming back in the car and, uh, George is going to call nine one one. That's his plan. And he's like, uh, like, hello, police. I'm in the backseat of a limo in Queens. And then, uh, Peter Krause comes in. He's like, I'll tell you what, (laughs) AstroTurf, that's the Jews. Also the Jews hate grass. Um, so what do you think of the plan of what was he going to say if he got in the car and um, like call the police? Like, hey, I'm in the car. I, I stole somebody's limo and now I'm in the car with Nazis. I think he'd say we accidentally got into the car for this O'Brien guy and they're going to kill us. Uh, you need to help us. Hmm. It would probably just exacerbate the situation. I mean, these guys would be willing to get into a shootout yeah. to save O'Brien. Like, I feel like they would take like uh, Murphy and O'Brien as hostages. Well, well, if they right, if they knew that they were faking, they'd take them as hostages. And if they don't know, they'd be willing to get into a shootout to save their lives. Yeah. And so um, it's a very, very funny thing that ends up happening where George wants to be alone with Jerry in the car. And he tells Peter Krause, like, uh, like, could you give us a minute? And he's like, uh, well, with all due respect, uh, Mr. O'Brien, like, uh, we got to get going. And so George, like, goes over and sits next to him and pulls him close, like, uh, so um, which one of us is uh, head of the Aryan Union? And he's like, you are. And, and which one of us is making uh, hate mongering and fascism popular again? <laughs> yeah this is the best scene in the whole whole episode oh it's so funny that george is able to uh do this again he gets so arrogant with this fake life he's taking on he's drunk with power george he's very drunk with power all right so then uh jerry and george powwow and they talk about that they're gonna run for it once they get into the city and because they won't shoot them in the city and george uh, jerry has a funny line that says like yeah because nobody ever gets shot in the city yeah, the, the truth is the stuff between Jerry and George is really top level. Yeah. No, I mean, all that stuff is fun. Just that the only thing I don't like is that I feel like, you know, we get, raise the stakes too high and it doesn't make it any funnier that, you know, we get everybody like the threat of their death gets involved in the episode. Like, I feel like just like all of these things that are happening, you know, it was already like the stakes were high that they were going to get busted by the Nazis. What are they going to do? Uh, we didn't need to like, you know, bring all the gunplay into it. Right. And as we've, as we, you know, we've said about this. So this episode was written by, uh, by Larry Charles and Mark Jaffe. Yeah. And um, Larry Charles, we've already said a few times, is the guy who's going to be taking it over the top. Yeah. You know, the subway has, is a little bit over the top, as we mentioned. You know, the library is pretty wacky. The statue episode is also like uh, pretty crazy. And the heart attack. Like, well, the shower also. Where- and the baby shower is the one with the, with, the, um, yeah. with the murder. He wrote that dream sequence where Jerry is just riddled with bullets. And so right. uh, I just feel like, you know, we don't need to turn the show into a thriller and, you know, have everybody be held hostage by the Nazis. Yeah. And as we've said, you know, you know, we spoke to Peter Melman uh, a couple months ago. And when we when you go through the list of his episodes, it's a pretty, you know, sterling list. 
The Larry Charles episodes are a little bit more hit or miss. Mm -hmm. And I really did like uh, the last Larry Charles episode that we talked about in The Fix Up. So I don't want to pile on uh, Larry Charles because he does a lot of stuff. No, he's like one of the great comedic minds like ever. We're not real, you know. Yeah. Just he, he tries like sometimes things that are a little bit out of like what would normally be a little too dark for Seinfeld, uh, in my opinion. All right. So we get to see then Kramer with Elaine again, and Kramer puts it together. The Jerry is O'Brien. Jerry's a Nazi. So Kramer's floating that theory around. I feel like Elaine does really stand up for Jerry in a way that does make me believe that Elaine loves Jerry. Right. Because you're expecting as a viewer for Kramer to be believing it and Elaine not to, and then for Kramer to uh, sort of, you know, get Elaine onto his side, which never happens. Yeah, but Elaine says, listen, you idiot, I know Jerry. He's not a Nazi. But the fact, those three words, I know Jerry, that she feels like, uh, to me, almost saying like she, you know, she knows him intimately, not just like in the carnal sense, almost that she knows him uh, he knows she knows him as a as a being. She knows him. Well, now we're getting like very deep. That, here, I Rob. think it's a deep line. I think when a woman says, I know him. Right. And also maybe she's being nice, but like she's trying to say, like, I know him better than you do. I mean, she's ready to come to blows about this. Uh, yeah. And we know Kramer must stink because he just fell in like 20 <laughs> bags of garbage. Yeah. All right, so we cut back to, you know, it's funny, you don't look like an O'Brien, and all of a sudden Peter Krause, like, uh, his suspicions are really uh, aroused. So, what man, what happened that really tipped him off? I mean, you know, they, obviously they seem like a little off, but also they chose the wrong names. I mean, I guess they had no choice with O'Brien, but he's not a Murphy. Yes. And, uh, you know, and then once he asks them about, you know, and they say they're from Ireland, and they talk about the cereal famine. Yes. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty much ball game over. Well, that's pretty ridiculous. The cereal famine stuff. And Jerry talks about, ah, the Pete, the Pete, because he's from Dublin. And now he starts doing like a, a uh, Irish accent also. Yeah, not the greatest accent. All right. Kramer and Elaine are back talking. Kramer thinks, well, maybe he's in the CIA. Um, do you think that Jerry knows who killed Kennedy? Boy, uh, JFK really on the mind of the Seinfeld writers in 1992. Yes. Um, Jerry, well, listen, maybe he does now because, you know, maybe Cheryl Hines, you know, she's married to Kennedy. Maybe she told Larry. Larry said, don't tell anybody like the way George would. Don't tell anybody. But I know who killed Kennedy and he tells Jerry. Yeah. Wow. The problem is if you tell Jason Alexander, he'll probably tell everybody. He'll probably tweet it. <laughs> so the Kennedys know who killed JFK? They, I'm sure there's a family opinion. They didn't get revenge on the person who, who did it? Well, we don't know who it is. It's possible they did get revenge on them. I guess that's possible. All right. So we end up picking up Kramer and Elaine who are fighting. I think that sort of maybe makes Peter Krause more suspicious. Uh, when O'Brien gets out of the car, a.k.a. George, uh, a bunch of people see O'Brien. They think it's him and they try to jump on him in the car. And then so everybody just gets in the car and they speed away. And they're driving along. And Kramer calls Jerry O'Brien and George Murphy. Yeah, and this is also wacky. Like, other than the fact that they're in a limo, what would give away the fact that, you know, Jerry and, and George might be O'Brien and Murphy? When you say give away the fact, like, do you mean like give it away to Peter Krause? No, no, no sorry. Like, what, the, the people who are chasing after them on the street. Oh, yeah. Why, like, what is their assumption that all of a sudden they see O'Brien on the street? Um, do they say O'Brien? Yeah, they say that's O'Brien and they start chasing after him. But did him. Kramer say O'Brien first? 
Oh, you think they heard them? I don't know. I if don't they know. Heard well, them, this is the opposite of the thing that you always talk about when people are in the same room on a sitcom and they don't hear. In this instance, people are across the street and they do hear something that got said. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it's TV rules. Anybody can hear anything that the writers want them to. You got to call time out first. Yeah, we get them in the car. And then uh, not only is Peter Krause suspicious about that, they say, oh, he's cross-eyed. The phone rings. Of course, it's always Kramer that answers the phone. Yeah, if, it's, if they need nobody to answer it, Kramer's going right there. And Kramer answers the phone and it's O'Brien. And then the next thing we see is, you know, our four principals uh, with the gun pointed at them in the back of the limo. They're all talking at once. You really can't hear what they're saying. It's a lot of chaos. Yeah. And they're all like throwing each other under the bus. I was just getting off the plane. I thought we were going to the Knicks game and blah, 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 blah. Um, and then we also have like where everybody, like all the protesters are like banging on the car. Uh, and Elaine sees her friend Dan again. It's very realistic, this whole scene. <laughs> and then ultimately they force them to get out of the car. And then uh, we see George like on the news as uh, billed as, uh, what was it, David O'Brien? What was the uh, first name of O'Brien? No, it wasn't David. It was um, Donald O'Brien. Donald O'Brien. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I'm not O'Brien. I'm not O'Brien. Uh, so that's the end of the episode. Yeah, I mean, it really, even if you loved um, the Elaine and Kramer stuff, it really does not tie together well at the end. No, no. Again, it's very fun, all the stuff with Jerry and George and the limo and the caper and all that stuff. But I think you know my feelings on the ultimate direction they end up going. And I feel like the other storyline, which is not really even a storyline, sort of like Jess, Elaine and Kramer waiting to get picked up. I feel like ultimately doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And they do lose control of the wheel really at the end of the episode. Like the ending is just you know, it doesn't make sense. They should have gone back to the drawing board for the ending here. Okay. Uh, we see Jerry stand up. He talks about how in these Nazi movies, there are two separate Hiles that they do. There's the one that they do like sort of out on the battlefield and the other one that they do sort of like, you know, when they're hanging out in the office. Um, I probably am not watching enough uh, World War II movies where they have like the parts where they go into the office. So I can't say that I really know what Jerry's talking about, but I can imagine it. Uh, yeah, it's funny, but right. I don't know exactly what he's talking about either. <laughs> yes. Uh, I could see definitely like an SNL parody of like The Office uh, back in like where, you know, Hitler's coming up with all his plans and there's like, you know, uh, we see our, you know, Jim and Pam of the Nazis and stuff like that. But that being said, uh, I don't think I've ever watched any like, you know, behind the scenes of, uh, you know, the SS type. Uh, no, no inside looks. No, no, no DVD commentary. No, nothing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you'd, that's the worst spec script ever. It sounds like what you just described. <laughs> yeah. All right, Kiva, before we get to taking people's voicemails and then ranking the episode and all that fun stuff, we actually have a uh, special treat for the listeners of the podcast. Uh, Kiva was able to track down another one of the writers from Seinfeld. This time we're going to talk with Mark Jaffe, who came up with the story for this episode. And we're going to go ahead and bring him onto the show. And uh, Mark, are you there? I'm good. I hear the, the throngs applauding. That's yes. very nice. Yes. 
Uh, people are uh, very excited uh, to have you with us because it's always fun when we get to talk to people uh, who were in the room, who helped come up with the stuff that, that we're talking about and the stuff that, you know, lives on still uh, to today. And again, great job uh, by Akiva tracking down another writer from Seinfeld. Great job, Akiva. Yeah, uh, Mark, last time we spoke to Melman. So if you have any dirt on Melman, you know. Oh, yeah, well, uh, how do you, what I want to know is how you find us. <laughs> well, well, you, you know, just the Wikipedia says your names. The truth is, you know, we'll, we'll tweet at the writers. I don't want to bother you on Facebook or anything. Um, and also <laughs> Facebook's pretty smart. And they made a, a thing where you have to like pay a dollar to, <laughs> to message someone you're not friends with. And, you know, I'm not paying that dollar. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I, you could, I, guess you could, I didn't know that. Yeah. Or you, I mean, you could friend request them and probably add a message in there. But anyway, so, you yeah. know, some people respond and some people, uh, you know, never check their Twitter. So Mark, uh, so excited to have you on. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with uh, writing for Seinfeld? Um, I was, well, I was a stand-up comedian and I still do it occasionally. And, um, so I had uh, I'd met Jerry once or twice before uh, the show started, um, but didn't really know him. Uh, then the four episodes, Seinfeld Chronicles, do you remember those? Yeah. I don't know if those were included included in the uh, in, in what you guys podcast, but um, I saw when those came on, I thought, oh man, this is the show that I should write for. It just had my sensibility, and uh, I thought it was I thought it was great. And um, and sure enough, uh, I. In Cleveland at the time, and uh, which I still do, but um, uh, Jerry was coming to town to do shows, and uh, I just went. I wasn't going to even go, but my manager said you have to go talk to him. So I went and uh, reintroduced myself and said hello, and uh, I said, "I boy, I'd love to write for the show." And he said, "Well, actually, we're looking for somebody," and um, so uh, I submitted some material, and he called me like. Uh, Three days later, and said, "Hey, got your stuff. Love it. Uh, you're on board." So that was that was all it took. I happened. I also been writing a little bit for uh, beforehand for Paul Reiser, who Jerry is a friend with, and so I think Paul put in a good word for me as well, and uh, and that was it. So yeah, I was on that first season. Um, on staff. So, Mark, you're credited uh, with the story for uh, the limo, which we talked about today, the pick, and also the bookstore. Um, what does that mean when you're credited uh, with the story on a uh, credits for a TV show? Well, uh, supposedly it's the, I mean, it's the person who gets written by credit wrote the script. Yeah. And the person whose story gets story credit, it's their idea. Like the whole, the idea for the story is theirs, and and generally an outline of the story, like what what's going to happen and so forth, which you know often gets changed during the course of writing it. But um, so you know, Larry was uh, at the time that the um, uh, limo came on. I was no longer on staff, so I was just pitching shows from uh, wherever I was. Uh, I'd send in faxes uh, every week of however many ideas I could come up with and in the hopes that Larry would take one. And so how much of this this story ultimately is what you sent in and how much of it is that what Larry adds to it after the fact? Well, I, I can't remember exactly, but, you know, I, I came up with an outline. And what happened was, I mean, the whole premise of it is my idea because I used to just Every time I land at an airport and there's somebody there <laughs> yeah. with the signs, I was like, oh, man, I want to, can, I can just say I'm that person. And, 
So that was the basic premise was, was my idea. And he loved that premise. And I came up with an outline and, um, you know, I don't remember. I mean, I, I know that, um, the, uh, the idea of making it a neo-Nazi, it took a long time to come up with that. Actually, that was tossed out in the room fairly early on by Larry Charles. Um, but then we decided that wasn't going to work and went past it and, um, started to come up, up with other ideas. And, uh, eventually after nothing really seemed to work better, we came back around to that and that was what uh, we went with. So, uh, Larry Charles went off and wrote it. That was the one episode he, he did that year. It's similar with the other stories, you know, that I, that I have credit for, which are things that I pitched and, um, you know, and they, they liked and, uh, they uh, ran with it. You know, one of the things that we talked about also was that, uh, you know, the episode takes like a, uh, a dark turn at the point where the characters are being uh, held at gunpoint uh, by the uh, neo-Nazis, which, uh, you know, it's all, it's all very fun, but then there is real, like a real element of danger that we haven't seen in Seinfeld uh, to that point. Uh, do you, yeah. do you have any uh, feelings about like uh, how that tonally fit in with the rest of Seinfeld? Well, I think that was kind of something that um, Larry Charles brought to the table Mm -hmm. and you you probably find other episodes if you really paid attention to which ones Larry wrote, um, that he liked to go to different places. In fact, the gun. Yeah. I can't, I think, think, um, there's, I think in Lord's called the bet. Yeah. That was Larry Charles's and it wasn't even, that was the one that wasn't aired for a while. Uh, it was never aired. I think, or with, it was never aired. Okay. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was also, I think, a darker uh, uh, script, and, and realized that it was a, a, you know, too much for the network to handle, or something. I, I don't recall. But those are, uh, you know, those kind of things were something that Larry Charles brought to the table. He was willing to go places, and that uh, even <laughs> Larry David wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't have gone to. Um, you know, you have another one of your episodes coming up uh, soon. We're going through all the episodes chronologically. Uh, the pick, uh, and then uh, okay. you have another episode, uh, the bookstore, which is coming up uh, way uh-huh. down the road, uh, six years uh, yeah. later. So, did you leave yeah. working with the show and then uh, come back and start pitching ideas again after a period of time? Well, I yeah, I kind of. I was on the on staff for full season, and then I left the show and was working on some other shows. But I would, uh, you know, if I had an idea for Seinfeld, I would pitch him uh, whenever I could. And so that was when they took the limo and the pick were, I think, two successive years. You know, once Larry David left, you know, I when I was busy with other stuff, and so I didn't really pitch very often. But every now and then, I'd have an idea that I go, oh, well, this is just perfect for Seinfeld. By that last season, I just, the only person I still knew there was Jerry. So I called him up and he, you know, told me, uh, introduced me to Spike uh, Ferriston. And um, and I pitched to Spike actually two ideas. And w- one of them was very similar to the, there was one about the wallet. I had a, an idea that it was, it was too close to something they were already doing. So I was bummed that I missed that idea. But the bookstore they liked uh, where, you know, George goes into the bookstore and, takes the book into the bathroom. And so that was one that they, they said, Oh, this is great. And, uh, bought that one. So it was just, uh, something that, you know, cause I still had the contacts and had the perfect idea for them. It's it's people are always coming up with Seinfeld ideas that they, if people come up to me all the time, Oh, this was a great idea for Seinfeld, but it's really hard to <laughs> actually have one that 
that works and that everybody likes. Uh, so I was lucky enough to be able to have the contact and have a sense of once you do, once I've been doing it for a while, of what they do actually like. So, yeah, um, Mark, I was I was doing a little googling uh, before the uh, interview here. Oh, did your doctor say that's okay? Yeah, I, I got I got full permission. And um, okay, it, is it true that your wife is a mole? Ah. <laughs> Yes, the things you can find out. Uh, well, it was just—it yes. was an article about you. So, is that—is that connected at all to the Briss episode or no? Uh, no, she became a moil after uh, after that episode. Um, but yeah, she she is a moil. And the the funny part, which is something that I've been had been doing in the past couple of years, is uh, I mean, it's it won't sound funny, but what joke do I? It wasn't made in Seinfeld, but what joke do people always make? Uh, about uh, moils that they're shaky or that uh, make jokes about them having Parkinson's. And uh, oddly enough, uh, shortly after she became a moil, my wife was diagnosed with Parkinson's. So um, we played it up. I wrote a, a play and that um, uh, was around the country a bit uh, about some of the things uh, that are funny <laughs> with having Parkinson's and we started a foundation and everything. But um, but meanwhile, yeah, it's still, we, we do joke about it uh, uh, that she's... She's no longer uh, practicing oil because of her Parkinson's, but uh, there was a time, and in fact, there was one day where she went to do a bris, and the grandfather who holds the baby, uh, they were preparing the baby in the other room before they took it out, and the grandfather said to my wife, uh, you know, I think I should tell you, since I'm holding the baby, that I've got Parkinson's, and my wife goes, well... I think I should tell you that I do too. (laughs) 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 To people in charge of the baby. But uh, yeah, so everything was, uh, she is, she is uh, still has that designation, even though she doesn't practice anymore. Um, And I know that you have also uh, started up uh, the organization that you, that you mentioned uh, shaking with laughter.org. If anybody wants to uh, check out what you're up to. Uh, And also, uh, you have a, a book, uh, called, uh, sleeping with your gynecologist. Uh, what kind of things yeah. do you touch on in sleeping with your gynecologist? <laughs> well, uh, my wife was a gynecologist. So if she was your gynecologist, I'm sleeping with your gynecologist. <laughs> um, she recently retired again because of her disease, but, um, uh, this was written a few years ago and it's still available on Amazon. Um, it was, um, it's just all the crazy things and funny stories that happen, um, to, uh, to her in the office. And I interviewed a bunch of other doctors around the country and, um, got some great stories that, uh, some crazy things happen. And these are things that couldn't be turned into Seinfeld episodes. So we, uh, put them in a book and it almost became uh, a sitcom. It was, uh, went to pilot, uh, picked up by, um, uh, Danny DeVito's company for uh, at some point, but uh, didn't make it onto the onto the regular season. So, um, so that was that was fun. Okay, well, Mark, thank you so much for uh, coming on with us and talking a little bit about uh, what your contributions were to Seinfeld and uh, answering a couple of our questions today. And I know that you are vacationing right now, so doubly thank you for uh, spending some time with us. I'm in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. I should tell you the the funny here's the, the one funny thing about the limo that it was. Uh, in 2000 and you know limo had been on way before uh larry david and his wife at the time lori they were involved in uh the john Kerry campaign yes and being in cleveland uh ohio was like the battleground of where the 
election was going to be decided. So then they're big Democratic, uh, John Kerry. So they were coming to Cleveland on the last night before the election to participate in the rallies and so forth. Springsteen was there and all this, you know, everybody was there. So I was helping out with the campaign as well. And uh, they, somebody said, well, we need drivers. Can somebody pick up, we need someone to pick up Larry David. And someone suggested, oh, well, Mark knows Larry. So why don't you pick him up? So, but I hadn't seen Larry in six years, probably. And uh, <laughs> so I, and I had a beard, I looked different. And uh, so we're at the airport and uh, I drew up a sign that said O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> and met Larry at the airport with the sign and he looked at the sign and he laughed and he didn't recognize me and then I said hey Larry you know it's Mark and he was like oh hey and so art got to imitate the life got to imitate art so it was kind of a, a replay of uh, it, it was fun we had a, a fun night and then a disappointing day the next day yeah yeah <laughs> uh, well Mark thank you so much that's a really great story and uh, all the best to you all right. Thanks. You too, guys. All right, Akiva. There you have it. There's Mark Jaffe. Yeah, we're, you know, I guess we're going to look to get, uh, should we go for the whole writing staff? We're two for like 40. Two for 40. All right. Look, we got a lot of episodes to go. We're only on episode 36. That's right. I mean, I, I'm guessing, you know, Larry David is probably a big fish, but. Uh, maybe by 136. Well, maybe he wants to like promote his, uh, his play. Isn't that coming up very soon? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Uh, maybe we'll put up a sign and say that this is like a, a bigger podcast and then he'll, we'll trick him. Also, uh, you know, I mean, Larry, Larry, uh, Jerry Seinfeld has uh, some writing credits. He's going to be tough, but I feel like we could get him. Okay. All right. We've got a lot of ground to uh, cover in the next uh, three years. So uh, we'll see what happens. All right. So Akiva, let's talk about first off, uh, could this story happen in 2015? I feel like more than almost any other episode, it could not happen. Wow. Why do you say O'Brien would have a Twitter profile? <laughs> yeah, O'Brien would, uh, you'd know what O'Brien looked like because there would be like Google image of him. Yes. I mean, there are people probably, I can't think of any off the top of my head who are like pretty, uh, you know, like reclusive and maybe uh, you don't know what they look like. And I don't know, like Harper Lee or somebody like that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think O'Brien's cell phone would be a big factor here. Yeah. Because he would have called the limo company and said he missed it. Probably. I mean, maybe he could have forgotten that in his anger at the Chicago airport. That's fair. Um, but he would have gotten in touch with the driver, the, you know, the, the company sooner. Uh, so that wouldn't have happened. Uh, pretty much nothing that happens here, you know, would have happened with modern technology. Okay. Yeah, it's a very fair point. Um, Akiva, let's get into your rankings here. I think this is going to be one of the more interesting rankings that we're going to do. Uh, it's true because it's, it's an important episode. It's, it's, it's a, an episode. It is definitely memorable when you say the limo. Everyone will know what you're talking about. Um, but, you know, and the I same thing with my Chinese- opinion on the episode is a popular one. I think that a lot of people are going to disagree with what I what I'm saying about this episode. Oh, definitely. Because I always like to look at how episodes are ranked uh, right before we do them. And the limo, I mean, I saw people, legitimate people uh, saying that, you know, the limo was their favorite episode. Limo's definitely in a lot of top 10 lists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, you know, the Chinese restaurant is a classic. Yeah. Um, but neither of us would put it in our top, you know, 50 or 60 episodes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it doesn't, you know, th- there's a lot of depth here. It's a deep roster. So just because something was important or was memorable doesn't mean it's, uh, you know, it's a, leg- it's a legendary episode. Okay. So what do you got, Akiva? Um, so I have the limo at episode number 48. 48. That's pretty high. Uh, you thought it would be lower? 
I well, I would have it lower on my list. Yeah, but you seem like in the hundredth percentile of anti-limo people. <laughs> yeah. All right. I guess that's fair. That's fair. All right. You ready to get into some of the voicemails? Yes. All right. So uh, some of our emails, I should say. You can send us a voicemail too if you want. Uh, go to postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. But uh, the best way to go is go to Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Okay. Let's get into talking about this. And uh, this is some stuff from last week's show. Uh, and then also some questions about this week's show. This is from Chelsea who says, hey guys, as baseball and football fans, would you ever be angry enough with a player to tell him off after a poor performance? Kramer and Newman seem to be poor sports for not only heckling Roger McDowell, which might be somewhat understandable, but also for heckling their own team's player. Uh, Akiva, would you ever heckle a player? Um, I don't think I would heckle, heckle a player on my own team, that's for sure. Um, you know, it would have to be a really extreme scenario. Like their name would have to be Armando Benitez. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, I I do think um, I do think I would. I'm not a heckling type, but it's you know I would boo another player. I don't I, you know maybe John Rocker I would heckle. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would ever heckle a player. What about a boo a player? Would you boo one of the players on your own team? Not in the parking lot when they're going to their car like a psychopath. Yes. Okay, but you would maybe do it in, in the, the stadium. stadium. <laughs> maybe in the stadium. In the stadium. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I think I am not against the booing. I think that I would not be quick to boo, you know, uh, like, you know, I would not be like one of these people like booing like Curtis Granderson in April or stuff like that. Um, But I do think at some point, you know, you do reach a uh, reach of frustration point. Yeah, there's a, there'll be a breaking point. Yeah, like like a Luis Castillo. Uh, I could definitely understand why you're booing a guy like that. Right, or if my or if Michael Kadire is hitting like 120 in May, and we realize like, oh, he stinks. He's just just good in Colorado. Right, but to me, I think that you boo more when you see a lack of effort. I think that's the one reason you have to boo people. That's, I mean, that's fair. And also, when you're booing, like the New York booing, that means the player is about to shut it down. Yeah. Yeah. Operation shutdown. Um, so let's talk about uh, another thing from last week. This is from Darren, uh, who says about the handshakes. We talked about handshakes in last week's episode. It says, I was taught in an early age to have a firm handshake. The worst thing about shaking hands is remembering to adjust the firmness. Uh, when greeting in a mixed crowd like church, one must dial it back and not crush the bony arthritic hands of the elderly. Uh, you have to watch out for that. But uh, the worst is when you're greeting a new person who you expect to have a firm handshake and they give you a limp flipper. Uh, you go all in and then you feel the bones of their hand grinding together. Uh, really, uh, Darren is really must have one hell of a handshake, Akiva. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, Darren, if, I, if you see me, just give me the fist bump. Yeah. Darren also says, love the podcast. Was so glad to have discovered it when you guys were just getting started several times. I found the podcast, started listening for a few weeks only to have them say, well, we're calling it quits after this episode. So there, Darren is excited. We have not quit. Oh, we got some bad news for Darren. (laughs) Yes. Also, Darren says, I wish I had a cool name like Johnny DeSilvera or even Costanza. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, So are are you ready to hear from the aforementioned uh, Johnny DeSilvera? Uh, yeah. What's, what would, what would a podcast be without an email from John? (laughs) Johnny DeSilvera writes, dear Robin Akiva, just a bit of backstory on last week before my uh, questions, Uh, other than hockey, you know, you called out Johnny DeSilvera for being a fan of too many teams on the last show, Akiva. 
he's like a back runner. He doesn't root for like the Cowboys and the Yankees, but he roots for random terrible teams. Yes. Yes. He says that, uh, you look, other than hockey, where I'm a fan of two teams, I'm a fan of just one team in every other sport. I wasn't raised on sports, and that's why I don't like any local teams other than CFL's uh, BC Lions. I'm an uh, Argonauts fan myself, Johnny. <laughs> He says, I became a sports fan as a teenager. In hockey, I like the stars. Uh, then uh, I, I, uh, I don't know if we need every one of uh, Johnny DeSilvera's, uh the origin story on all of his fandom, but uh, Johnny DeSilvera is adamant. I am not a bandwagon jumper, uh, much like being an RHAP fan from the summer of 2012 and a post-show recaps fan from the start. I'm a loyal guy. All right. So uh, here's the question that he wants to know. Was O'Brien based on David Duke? Well, I was going to ask that to Mark, but I, because Larry Charles wrote it, I'm not sure, you know, he really would have known. Um, I, you know, David Duke has mentioned the episode, so I'm going to say if he's based on anybody, he's based on David Duke. Uh, I don't think there was like a KKK person who was still really famous in the early 90s. Yes. Um, there, were some, there were some more of these sort of like, you know, outlier, you know, over-the-top crazies in the early 90s. You don't have a lot of them uh, nowadays. But uh, I would say that at least partially, yes, he's based on David Duke. It doesn't take that much imagination, I guess, to, to come up with some crazy, you know, racist. But I, I would say a little bit, yeah. Also, uh, we get where Johnny says, uh, this was great foreshadowing this episode to have a future episode with the uh, tuck, no tuck in the hotel room. Uh, that's right. Good, good catch by Johnny. And also, he says that time goes by and Master of the House is still stuck in George's mind from the jacket. Uh, that's right. Uh, master of the house. Keeper. Oh, I'm not going to sing Yeah, it gets stuck in people's heads. Okay, let's take our next question. This is from Susie. And Susie says, uh, lately I've been watching comedians in cars getting coffee and enjoying it a lot. One of my favorites is Larry David, uh, which was put on YouTube a week ago. Uh, he eats a pancake and they make each other laugh so much. I was wondering, do you think that they would uh, still write Seinfeld today uh, or they, they still could write Seinfeld today? My answer would be a huge yes. Uh, they're sitting in a coffee shop. Uh, and they're virtually writing a Seinfeld episode, cracking each other up uh, gold. Uh, they even seem even younger when they talk to each other. It's kind of a waste of their talent that they're not working together anymore, in my opinion. So what do you, do you think about that opinion, Akiva? Well, I, I mean, first of all, I, like, I understand what you're saying about waste of their talent. Like, because I guess you could say, like, what has Jerry done really other than stand up in the last, uh, you know, 15 years? But uh, do you know what kind of checks these guys are cashing? Yeah. You know, like that on a, a, a weeknight on TBS, Seinfeld gets over a million viewers still for an episode. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know how much money these guys are making? So, like, obviously they have no impetus. But, um, yeah, well, let's, let's imagine this scenario, Rob, okay? Yeah. There's an announcement tomorrow that uh, they're doing a 12-episode season of Seinfeld in the fall. Okay, great. On NBC. They're bringing back the four principals and Newman and uh, Jerry Stiller. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, is that, uh, that's the biggest show on television, right? Yeah, I would think so. I think it would be, you know, pretty huge. You know, I would. Is that, is that doing bigger numbers than The Walking Dead? Mm, I'm not sure it's doing bigger numbers than The Walking Dead, but it's probably doing, you know, numbers like The Big Bang Theory. Oh, well, hopefully, only, I only hope it would be of the quality <laughs> of The Big Bang Theory. Yes. Uh, you're so hard on The Big Bang Theory. But, I, you know, I did promise to watch it like three months ago. You never and did. I never watched it. You never I did. will say that when I offered to give the money, I would have actually given that money, though. Yes. <laughs> Unlike other people. Yes. Why? Who's in like me? 
Uh, no, didn't uh, didn't Spencer offer to like give uh, money? Oh to- no, he said that he's good for it. That uh, Spencer for Spencer Bledsoe for you uh, Survivor fans. That I think that when I think the Seahawks were up by like ten in the third quarter, I think he tweeted something like, uh, "If you retweet this and follow me, I'll give you ten dollars if the Patriots win this game." <laughs> Which was also a, not the worst call of the night, but uh, not a good one. Yeah, but there's no upside. Like, that's a rookie move. No, the upside was that he thought he was going to get a lot of follows and retweets. Yeah, but like, do that when the team is down 20. You'll still get the retweets. Well, he felt like it was a done deal. Oh, boy. I hope it doesn't cost him too much money. I hope not. I, I believe he said he's going through with it. All right, good for him. Yeah. All right, so let's go to Travis Amendinger, who says, uh, hey, fellas, love the episode. And one of my favorite scenes is Kramer demonstrating Michael Jordan's moves to Elaine. Michael Richards' physical comedy is becoming a real asset to the show by this point. How about ranking these Michael Richards masterpieces to this point in the series? 360 dunk demonstration in the limo, uh, riding Papanik at the OTB in the subway, or putting cement in the washing machine in the revenge? All right, rank those one, two, three, Akiva. Yeah, that's all right. So let's start with number three, the dunk demonstration in the limo. Yeah. Another one of the one of the great things about when Kramer does the over the top comedy is you get the um, crazy laughter from the audience. Mm-hmm. But I think and we hadn't really discussed this. I guess we could mention this here for a second. Like that, those outside scenes are actually outside, right? I think so, because they said it started to rain right after they shot. Yeah, that. So those outside scenes. So like you don't really get like that's just, you know, maybe the audience being shown. Uh, the scene like in, during a different episode. Um, so you don't, you don't have the, the, the audience is kind of no selling that fall. Um, while we're at it um, in the uh, inside look, it's mentioned that when they're in the, the, the limo or uh, you know, we mentioned in the early seasons that anytime they're in a car, it looks like really cheap and cartoony. So yeah. here I think they're in the car and uh, the way I think Tom Chironis, the director explained it, was that they have like a rear screen projection. So it's just like a projector in the back instead of a green screen. So yeah. it does look a little fancier than uh, the first couple seasons. Okay. Uh, and then to finish answering his question, I think the Papanik one was the best one we've had so far. When he's like riding the horse, that's great. I think that's the best one. I'd say the cement thing is second because it's more iconic. And then this is funny and I appreciate Michael Richards' commitment to it, but I don't think that this is a memorable moment. No, no, definitely not. Okay. Um, it was memorable for Travis, though. Yeah. All right. And let's close it out here with Chester, who says, uh, subject line of this email is the Jews hate grass always have uh, hashtag Jews hate grass. Uh, I don't think we're going to go with that one. <laughs> Pro- probably not. Chester was very mad that last week we didn't remember the name of C. Everett Goop also. <laughs> yes. OK. You no, know, because he was he, especially because he was on Borat. OK. Also, uh, wants to know, uh, why would neo-Nazis be called O'Brien and Murphy? Sounds pretty Irish Catholic to me. I mean, listen, the, the heart wants what the heart wants, Alex. Yeah, Chester really has his finger on the pulse of what the uh, neo-Nazi uh, demographic is. You know, I think he knows too well. <laughs> he says, uh, can you explain the reference that Jerry makes when George announces his intention to jump out of the limo? Uh, who are you, Mannix? We talked about that in the episode. Well, I'd love to know if anybody has seen an episode of Mannix that listens to this podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say that if you haven't seen it, probably. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to say one person has. <laughs> he also wants to know, uh, George hurt his hamstring in a hotel room. Uh, when was he in a hotel room that it's <laughs> it hasn't been hurting since the scam uh, in the subway since he played basketball last week in The Boyfriend? 
Uh, that's right. Yeah, between the basketball and being, you know, we don't know how long he was tied to the bed for in the subway. Oh, that was that day? No, it was a different day, but these are both, these are both happened in the last two episodes. Yeah. You know, he, he could really, it could be sore. He usually doesn't get out of bed. Like, this is a lot of work for him. And finally, uh, Chester also highlights a weird guy that was standing next to Jody Baskerville. Wants to know, uh, what is this guy doing there the whole scene? I want to know more about Jody Baskerville, to be honest. Yeah. What's she up to? Can you get her on the show? Uh, you know, I was looking. I, the truth is, I thought maybe we could get uh, Ava because she's on Twitter. She's like active. But uh, I figured one one guest is enough. And the writer would probably know more about what was going on than Ava. But yeah, yeah. Jody Bax, uh, her latest credit was she was the senior story producer for a show called Pit Boss. Pit Boss. She's also been uh, addicted to beauty, stylista, blush, okay. the search for America's greatest makeup artist. So that was in you know, reality I think that one, stuff. Yeah, that, that won like most of the Emmys that year. Yeah, very interesting. She's up to a lot, I guess. She's very busy. Okay. All right. So, Akiva, where do we go next week? All right. So next week, we have the only episode of the series that was directed by one Jason Alexander. Interesting. Yes. And which episode is this? Uh, the Good Samaritan. I feel like it's the only, ch- if we're going to have George on, this, you know, maybe next week is the week. Okay. Well, you reach out to Jason Alexander. Let us know. I will, but that's not a promise. Don't get too excited. Okay. Um, uh, so Jerry, you know, Jerry witnesses a hit and run. And uh, instead of telling the police like a good Samaritan would, he starts dating the driver. Hmm. OK. Um, I don't remember a lot about this episode offhand. Uh, yeah. You know, and then and then he realizes that the driver. Well, I don't want to ruin the whole thing for next week, but uh, certainly not one of the most classic episodes. But again, you know, the limo is and you didn't like it. So okay. maybe you'll love the good Samaritan. Who again. knows? I- I'm very fickle. You are fickle. You know, I-, I like that we disagree, though. We shouldn't you know, we shouldn't always. We shouldn't always agree. Although, you know, we're about to get to season four. Yeah. I can't imagine we're going to find too many, too many problems. Yeah. And even though this wasn't my favorite episode, there was still a lot of funny stuff uh, to talk about in this episode. And I still like it a lot better than a lot of the other episodes we've talked about here along the way. I just uh, feel like uh, they took a, a direction that I feel like is not in line with what I think Seinfeld is about. Well, how is, do you have like an idea in your head of how you would have switched it up where they're neo-Nazis, but... It doesn't reach the stage of guns. Yeah, I just think you could have done everything the same and not got uh, into the gunplay. Right. I mean, maybe you could have pushed the relationship between George and Ava a little further. Like George has to decide between dating Ava and like, you know, deciding that the, the jig is up. Yeah, I don't even think you need that. I think that, you know, the, you, you just didn't need to have like the briefcase open up and it's like, yeah, we've got guns for, you know, whatever happens. Yeah, why do they need 10 guns also? Yeah. They're not that many people. And then, what are they going to like, like a cartoon, like each shoot two guns with, <laughs> with, one, with two hands? Yeah, and then if like Peter Krause is just like, you know, interrogating them at the, like it's just like raising his voice to them. I think you could have the exact same thing and not just not have them, uh, you know, be held by the gun. But yeah, Does not the driver a big deal. get a gun? No, nobody needs a gun. It's Seinfeld. Yeah, and they had just, you know, like he mentioned, um, you know, they just scrapped an episode, which uh, Elaine gets a gun, like too much gun humor. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that we have, uh, you know, uh, this happened on Friends where, you know, people like uh, like are held at gunpoint. It's, a, you know, it's a, it's a sitcom. Yeah, it's supposed to be about nothing. I'd say this episode is really not about nothing. Yeah, this is an episode about something. And especially, I know we're going to get to episodes about something when we get to later on in the show's run. But I feel like for early on here, this is sort of a, you know, a very wild adventure. Yeah, I mean, I guess when they go to LA, which is the premiere of season four, that's about something. Yeah, the smog strangler and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, the smog strangler. I'd say the first three seasons, this is about the most. Sure. The closest to something. All right, so Kiva, great stuff today. Why don't everybody follow Akiva on Twitter? He's at Keeve26. You got a hashtag for this episode. 
Yeah, so it's not going to be Jews hate grass. <laughs> no, it should not be that. What about, uh, what about the big game? You don't want Aryan Union? Uh, the big game, that could be like people who don't want to upset the Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't mention uh, Aryan Union, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. That's not the All kind right, of traffic I got it. we want. I, I think this one will be fine. What about serial famine? Serial famine. Okay. Not like the podcast. Yeah. Not like the podcast. <laughs> C-E-R-E-A-L. Serial famine. All right. Akiva, great stuff this week. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We want to make sure uh, we hear from you guys in the comments on postshowrecaps.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Have a great week everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.